Full band for offertory. Gotta love that. Uh, hey, I've uh, I've taught. I, I've lost track. I think 16 or 17 Sundays in a row. Uh, so I'm not teaching today. Uh, Doctor Dave Robinson is. Uh, so uh, Dave's going to come, and Dave's a part of our community. And he and his wife, Karen, also run Creative Interfaces. Uh, he's going to share with us uh, about some events that are coming up at Creative Interfaces, as well as open the text and teach us. So, uh, Dave. Thank you. And thank you to those three people who just applauded. I appreciate that. <laughs> I have this little belief that everybody in the world should experience being applauded at least once, sometime in their life. I mean, wildly applauded. So anyway, uh, I've got more than my fair share, but thank you. I, it's a wonderful thing to be appreciated. Um, this is Palm Sunday. Everybody raise your palms. <laughs> Matt joke. Um, so who knows what Palm Sunday is? So that's the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and sort of, it's sort of the beginning of what we call Holy Week, where he did all these things in the temple and with people and had arguments and, had, and healed people, did some amazing events. It's quite the story in itself, just Holy Week. And then Friday happened, and the guy who came into Jerusalem to the waving of palm branches, which in Israel was kind of like waving the Israeli flag in a way, uh, and was hugely popular, gained you know, exponential disciples, and within days was executed with people screaming at him. An amazing story that he's at the center of. And then Saturday happened, and for one day in our world, there was no Messiah. And then Sunday happened, and boy, was there a Messiah, uh, for those who understand that. So it's quite the epic little, little week. And I find myself thinking, rather than focusing on the story, I'd like to focus on the person. Because the story wouldn't exist without Jesus. It's like, who exactly is he? What, who is a person that would be wildly applauded and, wildly, and with huge crowds welcoming him into Jerusalem? Some of them thinking like this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. They were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. That translates basically, this is the hope of our, of our nation, or more than nation. And then by Friday, uh, hanging on a Roman cross, horrible thing. So let's look at before Holy Week, uh, but still in the book of Matthew. Our text has been, during Lent, has been through Matthew. Uh, we back up a couple chapters to Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So it's before Jerusalem, before Palm Sunday, before all that. But it's a great little window into what makes Jesus tick. And we're going to look at Matthew 6, and then we're going to go to our series text. But I want to read through this. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 
25. Just sort of, I'm going to read this through this kind of slow. Just let it kind of soak. Do not worry about your life. Okay, if for any of you who have ever worried about anything, how many of those times that you were worrying, you were worried about your life? I'm going to guess most of them. At least that's true for me. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. Anybody ever study King Solomon? Like really look into who he was? And I'll give you one little detail about Solomon. When Jesus uses the word splendor in reference to Solomon, to this culture, it's a wild thing to say. Solomon's, okay, you know, back in the day, in Solomon's day, the, the, the coolest, sportiest thing you might have is a great horse with its, you know, accoutrements. Uh, his stables, just his stables, not the palace, not the city, not the kingdom, the stables for his horse collection was nearly the size, was a city nearly the size of San Francisco. The stables of Solomon. Epic legend in this culture. Very controversial, actually. Now, that's another story, but I just want to throw that out. When Jesus says, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like the lilies growing in the field, Jesus is pointing out something that's a, it's a paradigm shift. It's a, it's a whole different level. The lily just grows and flourishes without any effort in absolute abandonment to its creator. And it's beautiful. I just wanted to point that out. So, uh, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.
I'm going to read that last little verse a couple more times. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek. Not a, not a casual word. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So, you ever get up in the morning and uh, look in the mirror? Anybody ever get up and look in the mirror? So, I do, every day. Uh, why do we look in the mirror? We need to see how we're doing. We need to see what we look like. What's that, you know, some people go so far as to say, put on their face, right? Uh, today, I'm, I'm more of a workshop guy than a preacher, right? So today is going to be workshop-ish. We got a workshop coming up on the 29th after Easter called the Beatitudes Workshop. Uh, there's just 12 seats. I've already got a few signed up, so if this interests you, let me know. Uh, we'll talk about more later and watch your email for that. But, uh, but I'm a workshop guy, so today we're going to just pretend you're in a workshop uh, and we're going to have some interaction a little bit later. First, we're going to go to our text. Matthew 9. 18 to 26. Now this is fast forwarding to uh, Jesus who just, who we, whose passage we just read, but it's later. This is Holy Week. A synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Now think about the things you could worry about and where this might fall. For this guy. He says, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. So here's a guy apparently deeply understands something about seeking first the kingdom of God and having these other things added to him. Uh, Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. I don't know how a bunch of people given to mourning would suddenly laugh at Jesus. He must have looked ridiculous. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. I'm going to read the same story from the Gospel of Mark. And I want us to start looking in a mirror. 
Think about your own faith. What brings you to Jesus? What brings him to mind in your life? Kind of put yourself with these people and see where you might fit. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, Mark's account is going to be more detailed. Uh, a large crowd gathered around him while he was uh, by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Okay, picture that. A large crowd pressed around him and following him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answers, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I'm amazed by this woman. Jesus said, your faith has healed you. That's amazing. Why didn't he say, be healed? He's the healer, right? It, it appears that he wasn't even sure what happened. He totally felt her presence in some way and felt something happen and felt her faith on some level and it's described as power's gone out of me. So in this description, in this narrative, she totally did this on her own free will. She went and she believed, if I even touch him, I'll be healed. And she touched him and she was healed. And Jesus affirmed, oh indeed, yes, your faith has healed you. But it also says she'd been with all these doctors and she'd gotten worse instead of better. So her faith, when contacting Jesus, it happened. When she put her faith, when, when apparently she had plenty of faith, it just needed to be put in the place where the source was. And when her level of faith and her level of belief met the reality of the source of the power, it, healing instantly occurred. Each of us has faith. I think, I don't know if I've ever met a person with no faith. 
I know we talk about faith like it's a religious thing or like it's always focused on God, but really, we have faith in all kinds of stuff. Think of an architect designing a building. He doesn't know, or she doesn't know, how all the complexity of molecules work. But when they put up a steel I-beam a certain way, they know it's going to hold, and it does. Because they have faith that certain things they've learned are going to continue to be true. And that's not shocking, it's, but it's faith, right? I mean, not all things continue to be true. Some things change a lot. And so it's not about whether we have faith. It's about where we put it, what we're focused on. So think about that. I'm going to, I should have got a little stand. So the story continues with Mark overhearing what they said. They just came, remember the, some folks came and told Jairus, your father's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, told him, the father, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John. Uh, and when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? He's on a whole different level. The child is not dead, but asleep, and they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And she began to walk around and at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I don't know how in the world you would keep someone coming back from the dead a secret. <laughs> They're going to see her, right? For some reason, he said, don't tell them what happened. I don't know what he's doing. He told them outside that she's sleeping. Maybe he didn't want them to have to deal with a resurrection and was kind of being gracious in that way. Who knows? I'm going to read this once more from Luke. Not as long as Mark's but longer than Matthew's. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So if Mark's account wasn't enough, Luke's account it says the crowds almost crushed him. So he's completely, I mean, shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. If you've ever been in a crowd that's crushing, and then it just casually says she came up behind him, you know that that's not... You don't just walk through a crowd that's crushing. It takes some real zeal and some real commitment to get where you want to go. Think about that. So she is committed, and her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, 
That's kind of funny. The crowd is crushing him, and they're all denying that they touched him. So Jesus said, who touched? I, I can't imagine his tone of voice. But a bunch of grown-ups all around him denied it. Like, he, I, was he threatening? I don't know. It's just, it, it's a great story. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Kind of like saying, dude, really? But Jesus said, someone touched me. Not just pressing up against the physicality of bodies, but someone touched me. Do you see? It wasn't just the physical proximity. She was touching who he is. She had a vivid belief. She thought, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she was. I know that power has gone from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. She's died, and he's still saying this. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. All three writers count laughter. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Human beings are capable of knowing the difference between a living person and a dead person. This is not, that part's not rocket science. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So there's a lot we could say here about those people back then and what they were learning or what they should have been learning. Or, uh, but I want to bring it into this room. If you're a Christian with any kind of commitment at all, then on some level, you've chosen Jesus to be your master. Or however you would put that. We don't use the word master a lot, but uh, you, you have at least considered hit mastery as something you want to influence you. At least. <coughs> might be kind of a spectrum. That might be one end. You're considering well, Jesus, uh, yeah, I, there's something there for me. I'm looking into that. That's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you're like the woman. I am all in. 
He is absolutely the one. He's my source, he's my master, he's like everything I have. And then you're a complete worshiper and you're, you're, he is absolutely your master. Now all of us are somewhere in here, if we, not everybody in the world particularly, but we're in church, I mean I would think the majority here are in this spectrum. Uh, so let's do a little self-assessment. This is the workshop moment. Uh, when you came in, you got a, uh, I don't think I brought one up. You got a program, and in it is a little beige-colored card. And if you don't have one, Anne-Marie's passing some out, uh, it's got some squares on it and a column of words. So this is a little spiritual exercise. I teach spiritual formation classes, so welcome to my class for a little while. Raise your hand if you need one. Hold your hand up, they're coming. Got a little, got a little card. So, I want you to sort of identify where you are on this spectrum. Are you sort of considering, maybe I'll let Jesus influence me? That's awesome. I've got nothing but wild applause for you, okay? Or are you over on this full, he's absolutely my master, I am absolutely all in. I'm walking in all faith in him. Uh, so there's a column of, of words. Uh, I'd like you to put them in order. Grab a pen, there's pens on the seat. Uh, you won't be sharing this with anyone. This is just for you. So they won't be turned in to uh, be graded or anything. Uh, the column says connection to God. Second one, marriage, family, love life. Close friends, close relationships. Financial security. Outward appearance. Achievement of goals and dreams. And physical health. I'd like you to ask yourself, what do I believe in terms of where I put my faith the most? Do I put most of my faith in outward appearance or physical health or my love life or my connection to God? And, and write one through seven and put those in order as to what you believe about yourself. So take just a moment, if you're the type of person to spend 20 minutes on that, do, do a very abbreviated version. It's just, we just want to get a glimpse into ourselves. This is the mirror. This is looking at our spirit in the mirror, if you will. Okay. Now, as soon as we do something like this, there's trouble. We don't always love our reflection. So give yourself lavish grace. Just let it be fun. Just like, this is, this is what I believe and it's fine. Um, there's also trouble with life is not segmented this simply. I don't know how to distinguish completely between what's my connection to God and what's my connection to my close friends. And 
financial security and goals and dreams, th these things are not lined out this way. So this is kind of artificial. It's just a tool to kind of make a mirror. Uh, so just let it, let it be uh, a little sloppy. Okay, so the next, see to the right, there's all these boxes. So if you move from the column of words to the right, the first column of boxes in that group, there's a little blank space above the column. You see that? Write the word time in that little space above the first column. And then ask yourself, how I invest my time all week long in my daily routine, what would my time, what would my calendar and my schedule say are my priorities? And, and how would, if, if my schedule were interviewed, where would it say I put my faith? So in what of these things do you invest the most time? We're going to go through this a little quicker than I would in a class. But I want you to get a, just a sense of it. And after we're done, if you'd like, if this, if this is meaning something to you, you can sit with it and continue it, take it with you. On the next column, in the blank space above the second column, write the word money or a little dollar sign. So if someone interviewed your checkbook or your credit card statement, where would your finances say you put your faith? And on the next column, up at the top of the third one, write the word thought. I know you have to write kind of tiny, but... In terms of investment of thought, how much do you think about connection to God versus marriage, family, love life, financial security, close friends, appearance, achievements, physical health? We think about these things, and we should. These are all good things. But if you had to say, where does my faith go the most according to my volume of thought, how would that play out? And the last column, put the word others. And by others, I mean this. What would the people in your life that are close to you, if they, if they chose to, how would they assess where, where you put your faith in these things? What would they say about you? In terms of most to least on, this, on these words. I probably should have said this at the outset, but if you're the kind of person who tends to guilt trip yourself and you're really hard on yourself and you think you never perform well enough, to you, I would say, bump up your grade higher for no reason. Give yourself grace. Just do it. Just tell yourself, I, I'm, 
I'm ahead of where I think I am. And if you're the kind of person that sees yourself as, you know, everybody else is behind you and you're just always the leader and you're always in charge and you got it together and you're put together and boy, if everyone could be like me, it would be a great world. And if that's kind of your perspective, then maybe go the other way. Take a hard look. Do you see how these questions can be a little bit of a spiritual mirror? To get up and look at like, how am I? All that happens in a mirror is whatever your perceptions are perceiving. So this is just your perceptions perceiving too. Now we're gonna to go to communion. And I would like you to take this card. You can fold it up and put it in your pocket. You can do whatever you want. But I would like you to acknowledge where you are on this spectrum. As the crowd presses in on Jesus, I'm out here on the edge of the crowd observing, and I'm kind of curious, and I'm there, and I'm watching. But I'm not like this woman who's all in, you know, and kind of making a spectacle of herself. Or maybe you are. Maybe you're like the woman who would press in through the crowd just to get a a touch of Jesus, and she got more than his cloak. She got a conversation, and she got to keep him. Maybe that's where you are. So just acknowledge, and all of it's great. Applaud yourself for the, even the fact that you would even be glancing at Jesus. This is awesome. And so this on the table that we do every week, the body and blood of Jesus, it's our way on some level of acknowledging his mastery and and our need for him, and our need to know what he knew, and our need to be connected to the Father like he was connected to the Father. And he's so generous, it's crazy. He says, this is my body broken, and this is my blood poured out. This, this is the me-ness. Remember how the woman touched me, touched him. I'm breaking it into bits for you to consume. I want to live in you. I want to take all of this power that's stronger than death and have you live in it like I live in it. So take this little card and bring it to the table today. And if, and if this didn't evoke anything in you, that's fine. Just do whatever you need to do. But if it evoked any desire to, in, to, to focus your faith more on Jesus, want to get to the next increment of spiritual growth, make that your prayer. And as you consume the body and the blood of Jesus, consider his power and his generosity and his uh, response to your faith. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for each person in this room and for our, each journey and how you watch us and how you uh, provide for us, how you take care of our simple physical needs like you do the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Uh, we want to acknowledge you and we want to get to the next little step of our faith journey. Help us do that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
As you go, may you know the presence of the risen Christ in your life. May you experience Jesus forming you more and more into the person he created you to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. The grace and peace of Christ be yours in abundance. Amen.